We're going to talk about today, we've been talking about in our summer series, about God's heart to find the lost. Um, I want to remind you of a couple of things. I know people have been in and out. If you haven't been here in the last couple of weeks, um, go back and watch online if you haven't already. And then also, um, in the foyer, um, I saw a bunch of the magnets stuck on the door that says nursing mother's room. Um, we're going to start sticking those magnets everywhere. We've got lots of them. And they're magnets that will help you pray for the person who should be your lifesaver, which is the little, just the, and you, if we have them here, if you want one, or you just get something that reminds you of people to pray for, that you're praying for, that they meet Jesus, that they take one step and just start praying for it. I've had a couple lifesavers over the years. I've got one that's on my, I almost took a picture of it to just to prove to you guys. It's an old, crusty, dirty, dusty lifesaver in the wrapper that's been there for about seven years. And uh, I've not given up because God has his timing, and I, I believe that when this person uh, will open their heart, God will bring them in. And that's what we're talking about today. But God's heart is always to the lost child. I've said this before, if, and if you guys have kids, you, you, or even if you don't have kids, you have families, that, uh, that in my own kids, if I lose one, right now Mabel is away with, with my brother, and his family down in, the, she's having it rough in Jupiter, Florida. Um, yeah, going to a great church, by the way, Generation Church in, in uh, Jupiter, Florida. My friend, Pastor Ben Pierce, um, we grew up together, actually. My brother goes to his church down there. Well, Mabel's down there. But not once have I thought, well, if I lose Mabel, I'm batting 50-50. I got Emma, right? Nowhere in your kids you go, if you got four kids and you lose one, you say, oh, well, 75% ain't bad, right? God, your heart goes immediately. If somebody goes missing, like, you people who were found, you, the heck with y'all. We got to go find the lost child. We, we got, I, I've told you before, in the, most of you know Emma, and even at almost 21 now, Emma all her life will talk to anybody, anywhere, at any time, of any race, of any height, any size, any, anything. She will talk to anybody. And so there have been several times in airports and Walmarts that I've turned around and Emma's gone. And I'll find her around the corner trying to speak. Um, she was trying to speak Arabic to a guy one time. She was actually speaking Spanish to a, a, a little Mexican guy in Walmart one time. And she just is fascinated with people. But when I, when I lose her, never do I go, ah, well, I got Mabel. My heart is always, go find her. I got to go find her. Well, God has that same same pursuit of us. God several times in the in the Bible gives specific attention to the lost coin, to a lost sheep, and to the lost son. He says, if I've got ninety nine sheep and I lose one, I go look for the one. If I've got ninety nine coins, I go look for the one. In the story of the, of the prodigal son, he's got two sons, but the guy is more worried about the son who's not in front of him than he is about the son who is in front of him. And to, to us that believers, this is a big deal. Now, I can't speak for other churches, and there are other great churches in our city, but for us here, people taking one step closer is everything that we're about. People who are far from God, all of us are some distance from God, we may be saved, but we're still getting better. And then there are people who are far from God who don't know, never been saved. They don't know Jesus. They've got steps to take. That we're a church that's looking for the lost, the hurting, and the hopeless. And there are people all around here right now that are hopeless. 
We've been hanging our hat on this scripture here, Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is walking along the shore. He sees the people who would become the disciples throwing their net in the water because they fish for a living. And in the next verse, Jesus tells them, hey, you're not doing this now, but I'm going to teach you how to do something. You're fishing, but not for fish. Now you're going to fish for people because we need to go, we need to go find them. See, I don't think you realize, and you, if you do, then forgive me, but a lot of, most of us don't realize that you have a calling. People will tell me, well, Clint, you're called to be the pastor, and I'll agree. I thank God every day. God, he's put me where I have with a great bunch of people in a great town that I get to be a part of a team. But, you know, you have a calling, and the Bible's clear. Look what this says in 1 Peter 2, 9. It says, but you are the ones chosen by God. Who's chosen? That's you. You're chosen by God to do something for the high calling of priestly work. See, it's not just me that's got to do the work. It's you. My job, the Bible actually says, my job as the shepherd, as the pastor, is to train you, to teach you. That's what we're doing actually now in this summer series. Chosen to be God's instruments to do his work and to raise your voice. Nowhere in here does it say, sit quietly and hope everything works out. It says that you're supposed to speak out for him. Look at the rest of the verse. It says you're supposed to tell others of the night and day difference it made for who? For me? Are you telling my story? No, you're telling your story. That you went from nothing to something, and we all went from rejected to accepted by God because of what Jesus did for us. That you have something to do. That we're supposed to be sharing our faith that we're supposed to be, we don't have to be able to explain everything in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that you have to explain how Noah got two of every animal in a boat and fed them and took care of them and they didn't, and didn't live in, in the stink and the mess of all those animals living in a boat. Nowhere, I had somebody ask me this one day, well, well, if God's real and this whole thing's real and the Bible's real and true, then you explain to me, how did Jonah live inside the fish? And I can gladly tell him, I don't know. When we get to heaven, we can ask God. But I don't know. But if it says he did, then I have to believe he did. I don't have to explain it. You just have to know this. You just have to know the difference he made for you. The difference he's made in your life. Even if you say, well, Clint, I can't think of much. Well, if you can't think of much, you can think of a little. And if you can think of a little, more than you had to start with, right? If God just suddenly gave you joy when you've been living in misery and depression, then that may be one thing, but that's an important thing, right? And a lot of us don't even really take stock of what God's done in our life. And you need to because you can share that with people. But you need to know this. When they ask you about Jonah and they ask you about Noah and they ask you all these things, deep questions that maybe you don't have the answers to, I'm going to give you permission to say something. And we're going to put it up on the screen here. And I want everybody to read this bottom line with me. Ready? I... No. 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 Try again. I... Okay, one more. Emphasis on the yellow word. I... That doesn't make you dumb. It doesn't make you ineffective. A lot of us need to learn how to say, I don't know. You ever met somebody that, can, that talks like they know everything about everything? 
And you know good and well that they've never been to NASA or gone to the space station or built a rocket or anything, but yet they can think like they can tell you how that rocket works, right? That, to me, is a dead giveaway of people who are trying to compensate for something because we talk about stuff we don't know. But if, you, if I ask you how that rocket goes and you look at me and go, I don't know, but it works. They went and they came back. That says to me, you're not trying to tell me something you don't know. And it makes it more genuine. So if I ask you, hey, explain this, you know, why did Jonah or why did this, you know, why did water come out of a rock or something? You can say, I don't know. But we can go find out. We can look in the Bible together. It's okay to utter these three words. So you have to be able to share what God has for you. And I gave you those three things last week. I'm them down for you. I'm going to break these down for you this morning. If you remember, the first one is, the first one is, you have to share the hope we have. You may not have much. You may not be able to point yourself. But you need to be able to tell people, I have hope. And let me tell you why I took one step. You're not trying to explain anybody else. But I have hope. They, then they're going to say, hey, but what about Noah? What about Moses? And what about them crossing the Red Sea? You can say it together. Say it with me. I? No. no. I? Don't know what you don't know. No, I don't know, but it doesn't make me any less saved, or I don't love God any less. I don't know. But the Bible says you have to decide in your heart. First Peter says this. First Peter 3 says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. In other words, you have to decide to receive Jesus. You can't share what you don't have. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope. Well, why do you have hope? Well, I just know before I met Jesus, I was miserable, I was lonely, I was afraid, and you just, now, are, are you perfect now? No, I'm still this, this, and this, but God's taken this off of my life, and he's working on this, that you have hope, that he, he's brought change. He goes, on to say, he goes on to say the reason for your hope, but do this with gentleness and respect. This is not the evangelist sitting on the corner screaming at people, telling everybody you're going to hell. Because without Jesus, you're going to the same place. The only difference between you and somebody who doesn't know Jesus is you got to the hospital before they did. You're still in the process of letting Jesus work on you. They just need to come and get started. So it's, it's done with gentle, gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, trying to live right. So when people begin to talk about you, they're wrong because you've been trying to live according to what God has, has you and told you to do. Okay, well, the, the question becomes, well, then what's my hope? Okay, I get the, I have hope, and maybe I was, I was in depression, but now I'm not. God's, God's brought me out of that. Well, I'm going to give you these things. Here, if people ask, well, what's that hope? You can break it down into these things. The first one is how I realized I needed Christ. And this is simply, anybody ever tried and failed to fix your life? I'm the only one? Wow, man, maybe y'all need to be up here. I tell people all the time, go try. You're going to go around the mountain, go around the mountain, go around the mountain, and finally you're going to realize this ain't working. And I need some, something bigger than me. I need a God in my life to help me. That you begin to tell the people, hey, this is my condition before Christ. You tell them your story. I know people who would sooner 
look, they'd rather look you in the eye, but the old them, look you in the eye and just cuss you up one side and down the other. And then now they can begin to look at you and they may still cuss at you. But you can see a change in their lives. You can see they, they begin to go, wow, I, I don't need to treat people that way. I need to be different. You give them the condition before Christ and tell them your story. That's why I said last week it's important to know your story. The second thing is you tell them how I, how I committed my life to Christ. Give people, if you have it, some people have a, a big story, a dynamic conversion. Mine wasn't, but it was still. I was in probably early elementary school. I grew up in church and like every other kid in Sunday school, VBS and all. Somewhere in there, I gave my life to Christ, and I've been blessed enough to stick with it. But you have a story. Give people your how, your when, your where. Then it's important to tell them, what did I do next? Well, this is when I gave my life to Christ. Well, then what did you do different? I just started showing up. Just show up to church. And I just went through the process, and I showed up for a grow group, and I started giving and tithing. I really didn't understand it, but now a year later, my life is different. Tell people what you did. This is what I did next. And then the third thing is in your hope, tell people the difference it made in my life. And again, it's okay to say, I don't know when you're asked, but it's also okay to go, am I perfect? No. Do I still have bad days? Yes. Do I get frustrated? Yes. But I still have a hope in my life, in my eternity, in my future that I didn't have before. See, hope's not just about giving you hope here. The Bible says he gives you hope for a future and hope for eternity. So this hope is bigger than just now. This is an eternal hope. So you're going to share, you're going to share your hope. The second thing you share is you share your church. What do you mean, share my church? Just tell people, tell people about it? Yes, exactly what I'm talking about. I've said this many times, and I'll say it again. We don't program, we don't design things here for people who've known Jesus for a while. Because our assumption is, you're doing this. That you're bringing people, you're growing, and if we're growing, then we should be bringing people to church. We should be pursuing the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. Because there's people here, just like anywhere else, far from God. That the service is built to help people take one step. I say this in our One Step Connect class, and we'll do it again in September, that my theory, my, my methodology in teaching is not for deep, deep, deep theology, deep, 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 because if you want that, then we can't do that in 30 minutes. But my approach is cookies on the bottom shelf. So that everybody can, everybody can get some, whether you're new saved, been saved for a while, or you're still thinking about it, you can come here to a service and enjoy worship, enjoy a message, hey, your kids will have a blast, they'll learn about Jesus, and everybody gets something. So we're not ignoring you saved folks, or the people who've been saved, but we have expectations that you're doing something. Because the Bible says this, Luke says this in Luke 14, so the master telling the story about the wedding says, go out into the country, the lanes behind the hedges, shake the trees, pay attention to the people around you, and urge anyone you find to come. So why? So the house will be full. Well, Clint, I don't want the house full. I, I hate having to. You know, last Sunday I pulled in, 
And I had to wait 15 minutes to get out of that parking lot. Or I pulled in, and I usually park on the third spot from this side, and there was somebody in my spot. Somebody actually said this to me. I came in, and there was a whole new family sitting in my seats. I sit in every, every week. You know what I said? Good. Why is that good? Because that means new people. Where am I supposed to sit? Don't care. Why? Because that new family needs, needs to know they're loved and cared for. And what you ought to do is sit beside them and tell them, these seats are great. They work. My family have been in here for, and for months. And if you sit in these seats, you're going to be the blessed. Right? See, I'm not worried about church being too big or too crowded. Somebody asked me last week, and I know we're in summer and we're down, but I'm telling you, when August hits and we go back to school, y'all better get here early. And where are you going to sit? Y'all better get here early. We'll pack them in as much as we do. We've even talked in the future about maybe adding a second service and figuring that out. But complaining about it is like me saying that Memorial Hospital is just too big. There's too many sick people there. They help too many people. This hospital, pick a hospital, a big one. That's just dumb. Sick people show up to a hospital to do what? Get help. Well, this may surprise you, but there are a lot of people out there who were sick. Who were sick. Hang on one second, Monica. I got ahead of myself. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Squirrel. But see, why do we... Why do we need to grow is the question. And I'm going to tell you something that is true whether you like it or not. The need is great here in Scripps County and in Jenkins and Millen, Statesboro, Bullock County. There's a lot of people who don't know Jesus. We're here. We need to be doing something. We're, I'm not going to say, oh, we're just too big. We're going, to, we're going to limit it. No, we're not. As long as there's people who don't know Jesus, we got stuff to do. See, we need to be doing something. The next thing you need to do is you need to you pray for people. I'm going to break this down for you. Share your church. You're going to pray for them. This is what I'm talking about. Who am I praying for? The lifesaver. Whoever it is that's attached to it. Get you a magnet. If you don't know what to say, you get the magnet, you write in the name, and you just read it. And read, God, I pray that so-and-so, whoever the name is, they're going to... They're gonna, um, they're going to find Jesus. They're going to find freedom. They're going to discover purpose. And they're going to make a difference. And you pray over them. You, you pray for them daily. Mine's not big. Mine, every morning when I see it, I see it, and I call the guy's name, and I say, God, I thank you. He's going to meet you one day. And I go about my business. But every day, every day, for seven years, I've been doing that. So you pray for them. The next thing you do is you need to show them you care. See, we're under this mentality that no matter what their need is, if I just give them Jesus, then you know, everything will be okay. And I get your approach, but it's really not true because people want to know some things. They got some questions. You need to show them you care. So what you do is you find a need and fill it. If, if you can help them, they say, man, I've been struggling trying to get this, my yard right or even trying to get a tree down, something trivial, then show it one day and help them. I've been trying to paint my, this room, and I never can get it right. They show up and paint. They show up, man, I, I miss, I had not had Krispy Kreme donuts in forever. And you know what you do? You show up with Krispy Kreme donuts. Is it a big deal? No, it's not a big deal. But is it life-changing? You better believe it. Find a need and fill it. Because they're asking these three questions. 
Every, everybody you talk to that you're fishing for is asking you these three questions, and they have to have all three answered. They're asking, can you help me? In other words, am I wasting my time investing in this relationship? Can you do anything for me? You can say, well, that's just wrong. They shouldn't be asking that. You do the same thing. Do you bring anything to the relationship? Do you, do you make me laugh? Are you, are you friendly? Is it, do the, what do they give you? Then they ask, do you care about me? In other words, are you going to do something for me that may be, harm, may be not good for you? Are you going to give of your time for me? Are you going to invest in me? And then they ask this third one. And when they ask this third one, that's when they show up to church, when they get this answer. They ask, can I trust you? So if you think it's a, not a big deal to get to know somebody, to talk about them, maybe they reveal some things to you because they think you care about them, and then you go on Facebook and start typing out everybody's issues, what do they do? Do they trust you? Are they ever going to come? No. They want to know, can I trust you? So you find a need, you fill it, you answer these questions, and I'm telling you, when you begin to answer that, when they answer that third question, they will show up here. The third way you, you, you share your church is you invite them. And, I have one, and then it's silly, and it's like kindergarten, but it works. I want everybody to say that first word with me. You in, invite them. This is not a, hey, come to church one day. This is, hey, if you'll meet me there in the morning, there's coffee out front, I'll meet you there, I'll get coffee. Hey, in the, in the parking lot, there's two big blue flags. Pick one, and I'll meet you there. This is where I sit, or I'm... You know, I'll help you take the kids to the kids' church or the nursery. Meet them. Don't just say, hey, see you here one day. And this is what, I've said this before, and I'm going to renew this call because I think it's important. One Sunday a year. Just one. There are 52 Sundays in a year. Normally the last Sunday of the year, we do church at home between Christmas and uh, New Year's. So we take that Sunday off. So that's 51 Sundays. I'm asking for one. Is that a lot? That's where your answer. Let me just help you. No, it's not. One Sunday that you have somebody sitting next to you who doesn't know God. And I give you permission, everything short of sin, to get them here. That's why we do the movie series. We do you ask for it. Tell them you're coming to watch a movie. I promise it's just a movie. And it is. We just happen to be pointing out, pointing out in the movie God's truths in the movie. Get them here. Get them popcorn. Get them candy. Get them here. That you motivate yourself one Sunday a year. Do you know, just do the simple math. In our, high, from our, in our high points recently, we've been knocking on the door of 300 people. What happens if one Sunday everybody brings somebody? Yeah. That's where we as a staff are like, oh my God, <laughs> what do we do? But am I going to be excited? You better believe it because there's people who need to know Jesus. Let me give you this stat. This is scary and sad, but it's true. 80% of people not in church have never been to church, don't like church, never go to church, say they will never go to one. What does that mean? One, it means we're in a post-Christian USA. It's not the same. Two, it means we can't reach them here. We need you to go there. We need you to be where they are. 
Because they're not going to come here until you go to them and bring them here and get them over that. If they're in that 80%, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people going to hell. It's a lot of people hurting. Let me give you this real quick. It's 10 till or 5 till. I'm going to give you a quick, a quick lesson. Because of the fact they won't come here and 80% are there, then you need to at least be able to talk about Jesus. I'm not saying you got to know all the answers, but I'm going to give you the basics because here's the truth of the matter, and we'll just speak for Scraven County. This is a fact. If everybody in Scraven County in, on one particular Sunday decided, I'm going to church, there are not enough seats in Sundays for everybody to go to a church and sit. Let that think, sink in for a minute. So when people show up, we take care of them, but we also need to go find them. We need to go share with them. You need to share your hope. You need to share your story. You need to share Christ. We live in the heart of the Bible Belt. And in our, our area, anywhere you go, if you start to give somebody, even if you misquote it, and most of the time people will misquote it, people quote scripture to you, oh yeah, I know the Bible says love your neighbor or something about yourself, and yeah, Jesus turned water into liquor or something like that, you know. I know, yeah, and then we get, right? We're familiar with it because you grow up here. You may never have been to church other than when your grandmother beat you within an inch of your life to go when you were a kid. And just so you didn't get beaten by grandma, you'd show up at Bible school or show up at Sunday school. So we quote the Bible, but most people don't know the real, a story, a simple story of salvation of Christ. And I'm going to give it to you in a story, and we'll just say there's two parts to the story. And the first and probably most crucial part is you need to tell people this, that God loves you. Well, I'm this. I'm this. I'm of this persuasion. I'm of this color. I'm of this other faith. I've done this. I've been arrested for this. I've been married this many times. I've said this. I, and your response to all of it is this. God loves you. But what if I tell God I hate him? That's the crazy thing about God. You tell me you hate me, I probably hate you. You tell God, he's like, it hurts my heart, but I still love you. Right? And when people just begin to hear that over and over, you just need to know God loves you. Well, well tell me, prove it. Okay, here's your verse. This one we can remember. This, it, let me tell you how I remember things. I remember things in pictures. So when people say John 3.16... I don't see the scripture. I see the goofy guy standing in the end zone of a football game. Between the, you know, he always gets in between the field goal of a football game. And if you look, every college game, every pro game, there's some ding-dong with a big sign waving it. And it says John 3.16 or 3.16 on it. He doesn't explain what it is. He's just trying to get noticed. This is what it means. God so loved the world, he did something. Well, what did he do? He gave his son his one and only son, 
Because he needed a way for you to be able to come to him. And the Bible says everyone believes in him can come to God. Then you say, people will say, well, well, I'm supposed to have more answers. I don't have all the answers, but I know he loves you. Well, what about this? But I know he loves you. You've heard me say this before, but I've traveled more in the last year or so than I've traveled in a long time. And I've got some more travel coming up. But when I sit down in an airplane, I, I always have to decide when I sit down, especially when I'm by myself and not traveling with people from here. I sit down because I'm afraid somebody's going to sit down beside me. And they go, and inevitably the first question is, hey, how are you? My name's Bob. Well, hey, I'm Clint. What do you do? And I have to decide if I'm going to lie to them. Because you sit down with people, you get some kind of reaction. So some, I've told people, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a life coach. Like, in other words, I'm tired, I want to sleep, and you're not going to care, so I'm going to go. You know, but when they find out you're a pastor, they'll say, oh, okay. And they're either positive or they're the other. Well, I, I hate church. I hate religion. And they look at me funny when I say, well, so do I. That's why I don't have a religious church, because that's, ugh. I said, no, but if, if you want to build relationships, I'm your man. If you want to be religious, then you got to find somewhere else, because I just, I upset religious people. Because if you're just a rule follower, it's not a relationship. I've got a lab I had for seven years, and she's the best dog in the world. Why? Because she follows my rules. If she didn't follow my rules, she wouldn't be the best dog ever. She would be somebody else's dog, right? <laughs> that, God, that God loves you, and he's given his son for you. The Bible says in John 10.10 10, that the devil comes to do bad stuff. Jesus talking says, I've come so that you can have life and have it to the full. Notice it doesn't say perfect. It doesn't say perfect life. It says full life. God never, people misquote this all the time. I thought Jesus said I could have life to the full. He didn't say full. He didn't say perfect. And the truth of the matter is it's not perfect because you're not perfect, not because he's not perfect. It's, but it still says that you'll have full. The second part of the story. The first part is God loves you. The second part is this. There is a problem. And the problem is sin. The problem is that sin separates us. Sin the Bible says that there's this gap between us because, and, the, and it's sin, that we can't cross it. Romans 3.23 says, For all of us have sinned, and we all don't measure up. That's the only, there's only one way you can measure up. Well, then how do we deal with this problem? Because sin has to be paid for. It's a bill that's got to be, it can't just float it. There's no interest to be added and we'll just pay for it later. It has to be answered. And one day when Jesus comes, the bills do. It says in Romans 6, 23, that the wages of sin is death. So how do, you, how do we deal with the problem? There's death. Either you... Or someone who can pay for it. Well, who's the only perfect one alive that can pay for it? Because here's how you can look at it. This is not my notes. This is extra. For me to be redeemed, somebody perfect had to do it. If I redeem you, it's really not much good because despite what people love about me, I ain't perfect. Melanie will attest to that. So for me 
the unredeemed to be redeemed, I've got to have somebody, a redeemer, do it for me. And the Bible says there's but one, and that's Jesus. The wages of sin is death. Who's going to pay the bill? God is, God is eternal in life and in our Christ Jesus. So here we go. Here's the solution. The solution to the sin problem. God said, I love you so much, I'm going to send my son, who's sinless, to pay your bill, a bill that I know that you can never pay. You can never be perfect. You can never be good enough. And the Bible says in Romans 5, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still messed up, Jesus came anyway. While Clint was not doing what he was supposed to, while all of us were doing various things, all the way to, and I've had people tell me this, I just told God where he could stick it. And I had, I had a friend of mine who for years felt like he could never get saved because at one point he got so angry in life, he said, I stood out in my front yard and I flipped God off and told him, yeah, I told him, did like lightning hit the tree or did you, you know, I said, that's pretty bold. But the Bible says even while you were doing that 2,000 years ago, Jesus on the cross looked and saw you in the front yard doing that and says, but I'm still going to go to the cross for you. My life is still going to pay for yours because you can't do it on your own. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says that salvation is found in no one else for there's no other name by which you can be saved. You can't call on a tree. You can't rub a rabbit's foot. You can't ask a genie to help you. You can't, at one point, was it Ricky Bobby helped me? Remember Ricky Bobby? Like, help, help me. Yeah, I mean, you can't, we call out to Oprah. We call out to Tom Cruise. We, they can't help you. You can call the richest guy in the world and say, help me. And when the lights go out or Jesus comes back, it, doesn't, it can't help you. So that brings people, brings all of us to this point. That God needs something from you. You give him what Jesus gave for you. You say, God, I, you're, and you're telling people this. God, I give you my life. Well, what did that change for you? Well, immediately nothing. But after I kept serving God and serving God, then I realized he began to do something for me. I began to change my life. He took my life with all my junk, all my mess, and said, hey, I'll, I'll take it. But Jesus says it this simply. Now, ushers, you can go ahead and, and do your thing. It says in John chapter 1, verse 12, But to all who believed, and what? Say this with me. And accepted. So you're telling people this. Hey, I just believed, and I just decided to accept that God gave me, paid my bill. He paid a bill that I can't pay. He's doing something for me I can't do for myself. It goes on in Romans. If you ever want, there's another one right down, John 3.16 and Romans. Just thinking this in your mind. Again, I see in pictures 10, 9, 10. 10, 9, and 10. There's your verse. These are all in the live notes. You can pick these up and write these on a the fridge. These are two verses you can share the gospel with anybody. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, use your mouth, 
and you believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be telling people this. Does it say anywhere in this? Confess it with your mouth, believe it in your heart, and know all the answers. Confess it in your mouth, know it in your heart, and be able to explain the Jewish Passover. Does it say anywhere, figure out how Noah got people, all the people and the animals in the ark? Does it explain Jonah and the whale? No. You just believe. The Bible actually says, for it's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. In other words, that chasm is broken and you can go across to God. And it's by confessing with your mouth that he says, now I'm going to save you. That's why it's two things. Believe and confess. That I, I believe that Jesus paid the price and I confess and the Bible says, I'm saving you. And you tell people, hey, the Bible says that God is knocking on your door. Look at this, Revelation 3.20. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice, open the door. Nowhere in there does it say, give me all the answers. Nowhere in there it says, you got to have an answer to the riddle. Nowhere does it say, you got to quote 10 verses out of the Old Testament, 10 verses out of the New Testament, and then you qualify. Is it good if you know 10 verses and 10 verses? Yes, it's wonderful, but it doesn't get you to heaven. It doesn't make God love you more because he loved you enough to die before you ever knew he existed. So you have a problem, sin. We have a solution, Jesus. So what does that mean? It means your, your sin bill has been paid. Here's where things go off the rail. So I'm going to give you this ahead of time. God, they say, well, I can't serve a God or follow a God that sends people to hell. At home, online, in the room, listen to me. God does not send people to hell. It is not in the Bible. People choose to pay the bill themselves. And the paying the bill means it's not only spiritual death, but the Bible is clear it's physical death. And physical death means you're eternally separated from God. You can choose to pay your own bill. God says, go for it. It breaks my heart, but you have the choice. Your bill's been paid, but we're going to try to pay a bill that's already been paid. So you share your hope. You share your church, and you share Christ. And now you've got something. The end of the story is this. The end of the story is my response. And you just tell people, at some point, you've got to give God a response. You don't have to be here with me. You can be at home by yourself. It could be after, you know, at the end of service, like we're going to do in just a minute. It could be in your car, riding down the road. But at some point, your response is, God, I believe it in my heart. And I confess it with my mouth that Jesus saved me. I don't understand how. I don't understand how it all works, but you saved me. The Bible says you're right with God and you're saved. For some of us, that ought to be a great place to say, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. I didn't have to figure it out. I didn't have to get perfect. I didn't have to give up all this other stuff that maybe God you know, doesn't want you doing, but he's trying to do something for you. 
Everybody comes to this place to give a response. And that's where we're taking people. That's why we're fishing. The fishing is, the reeling in and pulling the fish out of the water is when they take the bite and they show up at church. Fishing is when they take the bite and say, God, I don't understand it, but yes, I believe in, yes. Fishing is when they say, yeah, I'll meet you there. What, you're going to watch a movie at church? Cool, I'm there. What, y'all can wear shorts? You can wear flip-flops. Yeah, I hate feet, and it's okay to wear flip-flops. I don't wear flip-flops because I have ugly feet, and y'all see my feet, so I don't wear flip-flops. It's also why I don't wear shorts, because I'm bow-legged and and pale. (laughs) It's a distraction. (laughs) Yeah, see, you're getting let it sink in. But you're bringing everybody to a response. Right now, if you would, if you'll stand with me, I'm going to ask you. I need you to respond. There's some of you in the room who say, Clint, I, I knew Jesus and I've walked away, or maybe I've never known Jesus. This is your chance to respond. For some of you, you need to... Your response is, God, I'm not fishing, and I need to start fishing. I can do one Sunday a year. One Sunday. And I can find somebody. There's no way anybody could convince me that everybody in this room doesn't know one person that it is blatantly, glaringly obvious they don't know God. And if you know one person, then guess what? You've got a mission. It's time to start fishing. Once you bow your head and close your eyes. God, I thank you. First, for people in the room who say, Clint, I don't, I don't know God. I don't know this Jesus. I need to come back to him. God, that right where they sit, they simple prayers, God, I confess and I believe that Jesus did everything you said you'd do for me. That salvation is theirs. God, for the rest of us, that it's time to go fishing. And you're asking and looking at us for our response. Are we going after the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son, our lost cousin, our lost husband, our lost child, our lost friend, our lost wife, family member, neighbor, coworker? God, are we going fishing? And God, for us in this house, yeah, we're going fishing because there's people out there that need what we have in here. And God, I thank you for it now. I thank you that you're good and that goodness will flow out of here, flow out of our lives, that people recognize it. And God, their response will be yes and yes. And God, we thank you for it now. In Jesus' name. And everybody said.